nine months ago or so, I was at the largest contemporary Christian music festival in the United States. A brother and I had met that morning with our two oldest elders and some other men of God and had left on our mission with their prayer and blessing. We had fasted in prayer in advance and had prayed in advance both for our own spiritual protection and for right and humble attitudes and for honest discernment. The main stage was huge. I have never seen such gigantic speakers. We browsed through the booths and looked at the available t-shirts and tattoos and jewelry and other paraphernalia that was for sale. Then we wandered through the thousands of people over to a to a big inflatable swimming pool where there were some festival-inspired baptisms that were taking place. This was the third day of a three-day festival. Again, it was the largest contemporary Christian music festival that is held in the United States. After watching a couple of the baptisms, and briefly visiting with one of the men right after he was baptized, my brother and I separated for a while. He went into a building where some youth pastors and youth group leaders and others were allowed to have a question and answer session with a so-called Christian rock group that was going to be the, the final performance that night. I instead went over and sat on the grass of this giant outdoor stadium to get ready for the next afternoon performing artist. I found a place on the grass among the thousands of people that were sitting or laying, sitting on lawn chairs, laying on towels or whatever it might be the sea of skin and flesh and shame between me and the stage was really no different than any other secular summer event that you might find anywhere in the United States. It had no different savour than any other event. I must have seemed a bit odd and as I sat there on the towel with my Bible, I say this humbly, but it's the only Bible I saw among the thousands, and I sat there and read and waited. My brother and I must have seemed a bit odd there because more than once through the day I saw people snapping pictures of us and taking videos of us. The MC of the three-day festival was a nice-looking, charismatic young man who bounded out on the stage as Brandon Heath and his band set up and got ready for their performance. 
This young MC cried out for a show of hands of any that had been baptized that afternoon. And I looked across and there were several hands that went up. He hollered at the crowd that he hoped that that had been a turning point in, this, in these folks' lives. And for everyone to give the freshly baptized one a hand of applause and there were cries and cheers and there was a hand of applause. And then, just all of this taking place within a few seconds, he yelled into the mic, Now, how many of you are ready to party down? There was a huge chorus of yells and screams and, and hands up in response. And he cried out again, I said, who's all ready to party down? Screams and shouts erupted even louder with wild excitement. The host cried, Okay, here's Brandon Heath. And he leaped out of the way off the stage. Immediately, the giant growl of electric guitars and vibrating bass erupted across the acres to overpower the noise of the hungry crowd. And I hear the words of a lone man in Galilee 2,000 years ago as he stood and called out if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for he that will save his life shall lose it but he that will lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. This man called his disciples to radical discipleship. He warned them that the world loves his own, but that it would hate them. And he called them, he called them, he called them not to party down but He called them to lay their lives down for the sake of the Gospel. Today we want to talk about music. Music is a huge, often sensitive issue and subject. And in this hour, we will only have time to consider a very few points. I must say, in some ways I really regret to say that this message will primarily be one of warning because the reality of the need for warning in 2012 is screaming at us. Yet I also want to encourage and inspire you with the tremendous blessings of good music we've been hearing it. Praise God. Praise God for song. I'd like to look at three questions together this afternoon. Two questions first and then a third one. And here's how 
we'd like this message to be. I, have, I will give you the three questions. The first question regarding music is, is it neutral? Is it neutral? The second question is, what if I'm not personally convicted? What if I am not personally convicted? After that, Brother Grant is going to do some no-nonsense sharing with you and a presentation of some of the things that were happening that day, a couple of hours from here at the largest contemporary Christian music festival in the United States, as well as some other sharing. After that, I want to conclude with a third question. If the Lord will expand the minutes to contain the message this afternoon... I'd like to conclude with a third question. What are some ways to discern? And I have ten thoughts to promote discernment in your life. That's our plan by the grace of God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, this afternoon we are before You, Lord. Lord, we know that your eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Your eyes aren't missing this little assembly this afternoon. Oh Lord Jesus, would you be present with us today? Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take control of this service and this message as we yield to Him. As we submit ourselves to Him as we release ourselves to Him. Father, grant grace. I pray for open hearts. I pray that You would tear down any walls that may be even now erecting of prejudice, of, of fear, of doubt. Father, would You just tear those down in my heart and in the heart of each one and speak to us, Father, from wisdom and experience and from Your Word. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to consider quickly a scripture. I'm not going to turn to it right now, but it's in Psalm 24. You can look at it if you want. And I'm just going to quote a couple of verses. Uh, it about, starts about the third or fourth verse that it asks this question. The writer of the psalm says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? And he answers that question. He said, It's he that has clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. That's who can ascend to the hill of the Lord. And I trust this week, as we have met together, our desire, each one of us, whether old or young, is to ascend to the hill of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus really ascended to that ultimate hill of the Lord when He climbed the, and bore that cross up Calvary's mountain, that ultimate hill, the hill of the skull and died on the cross for each one of us, and He's inviting us to lay down our lives for Him. But as we consider this area of music, we want to consider who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend the stage of the Lord? Who shall ascend? It's he that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, or who has not sworn deceitfully. I want to remind you of two men who came to an altar of sacrifice. Two men who were there as appointees of God. 
Two men who wanted to lead worship. And the Bible says those two men named Nadab and Abihu, the sons of, of Aaron, I believe. Is that correct, brethren? Were they the sons of Aaron? Yes. These two men, these two men in the priesthood, they came and they offered strange fire upon the altar of the Lord. God had prescribed His worship. And I just want to offer this caution as we begin the message this afternoon that those two men who thought they would lead some worship in Israel offered strange fire upon the Lord and they died there before the Lord. God smote those men dead. Those men didn't have clean hands and a pure heart. They thought they'd bring some of their own offerings and blend it in with God's worship and they died there before the Lord. Question number one this afternoon as we spend some time in consideration of this message. Question number one, is it neutral? Is music a neutral issue? I guess more specifically I'd I'd like to ask to ask it this way as you really think about that heading is music a neutral issue it's, it's really this are music styles and artists a neutral issue as long as the lyrics have a good even biblical or Christian message that's the question are artists and styles neutral as long as the lyrics as long as the message it has some Christian basis for it Absolutely not. It is not a neutral issue. It does matter. It does matter. And I want to just say that that in this message, as we speak about music, I'm speaking about music that you would sing. I'm speaking about music that you would, would sing out of a book as well as music that you would choose to listen to or music that you would lend your ear to, whether recorded or listen to someone singing. And, and, and this application of principle may really go even broader than this, but I want you to keep that clear understanding and backdrop. Is music a, a, a neutral issue? Absolutely not. It, music is an incredibly potent and effective language of social and spiritual change. I want you to get that. Music is an incredibly potent and very effective language for social and spiritual change. There's a a quote that's attributed to Plato, and it probably was was actually uh, written by a man by the name of Andrew Fletcher. You can often read quotes of Fletcher um, from hundreds of years back, but he was probably quoting some writings of Plato when he said this. Let me make the songs or the ballads of a nation, and I care not who writes its laws. Let that sink in a little bit. Fletcher, probably quoting the philosopher Plato, who was a very wise man, He missed it, but he did have a lot of earthly wisdom. He knew what he was talking about. He said, let me, give me the music, give me the songs, give me the ballads. You let me write them for a nation, and I don't care who writes its laws. Do you understand what he was saying? 
He was saying, there is so much control in the song of a nation that I will divert an entire population just by their song. Is it neutral? Absolutely not. Music has power. It is not neutral. You've probably seen pictures or read about or observed or seen a video sometime or maybe some of you have actually witnessed this over in eastern countries where a snake charmer would charm a king cobra, a poisonous snake, with music and with movement. Music has power. Some of you have worked in, in dairy barns or other livestock applications where many people, and I've seen this myself, will play music because it has an effect. Music's powerful. Animals will calm down. Or you can get animals to respond in certain ways just through the power of music. I think about in the Bible when Saul was troubled from an evil spirit from the Lord because of his own choice to not fully obey God like Brother Jeriah shared with us this morning that we're called to do. Not just to come, not just to hear, but also to respond in obedience. And Saul had came and he had heard, but you know, he got restless and he stopped obeying. And so an evil spirit from the Lord troubled Saul. That's a scary thing. And Saul would call for someone that was cunning on the harp and it was David. David came and he played on that instrument and, and it would, the evil spirit would depart from Saul. Music has power. I think about Aaron. When, when Moses and his servant Joshua were up on the mountain receiving the law at Mount Sinai and they came down toward the camp and you know how the people had, had made it talked Aaron into making a golden calf and they said where's God and we don't know what's happened to Moses and we need something to worship so they made this golden calf and they started dancing around it to their shame the Bible says and their nakedness and when Joshua came down from that mountain he said I, I hear the noise of, of war in the camp it sounds like war and I think as they got a little closer or maybe it was the other way around I'm not sure I think Moses said no this isn't the, the sound of men that strive for mastery but it, it was a, a party. It was a singing and stuff going on there in the camp. And it was to their shame. And I'll tell you, some of the music that is called Christian does sound like war. But they were dancing around this golden calf to their shame. Music has power. I'll tell you, Aaron had organized a little worship team there to kind of get Israel stirred up again and get their, their spirits back up again because their hearts had departed from the Lord. And they were dancing around to their own shame. The restless and discontent crowd soon had them naked, soon had them dancing, and God had to judge that situation. I want to tell you that music has power. It's not a neutral issue. It will predispose you to either good or evil. Music has the power of predisposition. I have personally heard testimonies. Some years back, I had a number of different young men that that worked under, uh, under my management as I would be involved in hiring them, perhaps 20 or 30 different young men. I didn't ask all of them, but as I had opportunity and we would go on jobs, I would ask some of these younger men some standard questions. Maybe some of you even had these questions, but I can remember specifically asking them, okay, when we'd get a, 
quite a ways away from town and we're driving maybe on a three or four hour drive and, and begin to communicate and, and the walls would begin to drop down, I'd say, what are your struggles? Almost always, in fact, probably always, the top two had to do with struggles of morality and struggles of music and they often volunteered the relationship between the two. Volunteered the relationship between the two. I, I remember a young man telling me, I just, I just kind of like soft stuff, not real hard. Some of it's even Christian, some's not. Just kind of soft rock, but it just kind of, I'll admit, it just kind of makes me kind of relaxed. And, and I probably do things that I wouldn't do otherwise. I don't know how many testimonies I've heard like that. Music has power. It predisposes to good or evil. There's lots of testimony. I bet there's testimony for that right here in this room. Music soothes and affects bodies or even plants. There's a lot of tests done with plants and the power of music to affect the growth rate of plants. Uh, music will soothe in a waiting room. There's certain kinds of music that are used. Or when, the, when you're on the phone and, and you're on hold, many uh, businesses will, will play music, certain types of music, because you'll be more inclined to wait and not hang up if there's, if there's certain kinds of music playing to, to kind of relax you. Music can affect your heart rate. Music can affect your blood pressure. Music can affect your emotions. Music can change your mood. Music has power. Now these realities, these principles are a great warning for us, but they are also have potential for good. Music has power. It's not a neutral issue. I, I just want to make this comment too that as music has power, and I've even read and studied some about this, and I don't claim to be an ultimate expert. I've read a number of books. I've done some observation. I've done some inquiry. But I noticed that afternoon toward evening as, as David Crowder stood up, what a master of crowd control that man was. even kind of affected me. I drew near, as near the stage as I could. I saw him lock eye contact with me a number of times. He's a, a fairly famous contemporary Christian music uh, worship leader. And the ability of that man to control the crowd and have them swaying and doing things. and yeah, Music has power. It has power. It's incredible. I want to comment before we go on to the next question. One more point. There is a difference in reading and listening. As we consider this subject, is music a neutral issue? You can say, well, yeah, but, but what about books? What about going to the library? There's all kinds of things that are not neutral, and that is indeed true. You do need to be careful what you read, but I want to suggest to you that there is a difference in your mind when you are reading and when you are listening. May comment on this a little bit more later, but I think reading is a little more of an active exercise where listening can be a more passive exercise. And when your mind is in a passive mode, if you're just kind of listening as you're driving down the road or as you're traveling or as you're doing other work, I suggest to you that you are not as engaged for discernment as you might be when you're reading. You think about that. Passive versus active. Be very careful with your listening. Question number two. What if I'm not convicted? And I want to just suggest to you this. Whether or not I have a conviction 
on a particular subject, be it music or otherwise, is not the ultimate deciding factor of its rightness or wrongness before God. I often hear people say, often young people, but not just young people, well, that's okay for them, but I just haven't been convicted on that. I just don't have that conviction yet, so so what? Does that change anything in the Word of God? Does that change anything in morality? No, I'll say it again. Whether or not I have a conviction on a particular subject is not the ultimate deciding factor of its rightness or wrongness before God. If the Word gives teaching, either in specific uh, Scripture and, and understanding or even in principle, clear principle, and I say, well, I just haven't been convicted of this, then I must either submit myself to the Word of God and get some conviction or find myself in rebellion against God. My convenient lack of conviction gives me no freedom to ignore simple biblical truth. My convenient lack of conviction gives me no freedom to ignore simple biblical truth. I want to read something that you have memorized. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 says this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, that the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. What if I'm not convicted? There's a song, and I've mentioned this before. I went to public school all the days of my life. I have probably some, some uh, regrets about all of that, but nevertheless, that was the, the case. And when I was in junior high school, in the public school, I can remember a popular song that was floating around, and in our school down in California, where I grew up, uh, there was a school newsletter, and people could dedicate songs to each other. And this is in junior high, which in our case was 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And people would dedicate songs to each other, and often a girl would dedicate a song to a boy that she liked or wanted to flirt with, and a boy would dedicate a song to a girl. And there was a song that I saw dedicated from time to time, and it was uh, sung by and made famous by Debbie Boone, maybe even written by her. Pat Boone was her father, and Debbie Boone, and, and they sang a lot of Christian stuff and sang some other stuff too. And it, the song was called, You Light Up My Life. And I remember to my shock years later, learning that that song was actually supposed to be in some kind of a Christian context. It had words like, you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and fill my nights. And then it went on to say, with song, it can't be wrong when it feels so right because you light up my life. And I'll tell you, that is a lie. With song, it can't be wrong. 
Oh, yes, it can. With song, it can be wrong. I don't care if it feels so right or not. With song, it can still be wrong. And that song was a lie. And it carried all kinds of lustful, shameful connotations and then kind of made some kind of of pseudo-appearance as though she was singing that to Christ. What a shame. What a shame. Ichabod. I want to go on. What if I'm not convicted? I just want to say beware of that subtle attitude of rebellion that can creep into our lives. The look of scorn. I'll do what I want unless I'm convicted otherwise. I'll tell you, if you allow that attitude, I encourage you to share this with your friends. I know I'm speaking strongly. And I really believe you have open hearts. I'm trying not to speak at you if you'll just join me in this message. It is something I'm passionate about because I don't want you to be sold cheap. I don't want you to be sold cheap. But I just want to say this, that that if when that attitude that I'll do what I want unless I someday get a conviction otherwise, that, that kind of look of scorn that goes along with it. And Brother Merle and I, a few years later, I can remember we walked into a Christian bookstore and we thought we'd just go look at some of the aisles and some of the Christian contemporary artists. And I remember we finally left that aisle. You remember that, Merle? It was just a shame it wasn't even appropriate for us as men to be looking at the covers of these that were claiming to be leading the worship of Christ. Shame. And I'll just say, if you have that kind of attitude, it's wrong. You won't be convicted of anything until you repent of that attitude. You won't be convicted of anything until you repent. 1 Corinthians 3.1, the Apostle says unto this, And I, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. And I just think, what a shame that the Apostle Paul had that, and yet he did have that experience there in Corinth. I think we have that experience in America today, but I pray that will not be the situation with each of you here today. And I pray that you'll share that burden with others. What a shame when men of God would have to say, Brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I think it's that way with many audiences in America today and with many youth groups in America today. They can't even be spoken to as spiritual because they don't even have spiritual discernment, don't even desire it. They're carnal, which means living after the flesh and the next fun thing for my flesh. What if I'm not convicted? Let's get conviction. Romans 8 says the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're living in a carnal mind, it will never be subject to the heart and and will of God. The carnal mind can't be subject to the law of God. It's very important that we cultivate a spiritual mind. The sixth chapter of Romans says, Know ye not that to whom you yield your members servants to obey. And I'm going to tell you, your members include your ears. To whom you yield your members. You're yielding your members to something, to someone. To whom ye yield your members servants to obey. His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of, of godliness which was delivered unto you. Praise God for that. I'll just say when you start with a what's wrong with it attitude, you are starting down the slippery slope of compromise. Discipline your heart to ask, what's right with it? 
what is right with this? Not just what's wrong with it. We need both. I want to leave you the lesson of Eve. A closer look of that beautiful fleshly fruit that was just desired to make her like God and to make her wise. And it was just appealing to the eyes and she finally took of that fruit. I'll tell you it's that way with compromising music. A closer look, a closer look, a closer look. I tell you today that if it looks, if it sounds, if it smells, if it feels like the world, don't be deceived. I don't care what they call it. It's of the world. Choose your friendship. Choose it. Choose your friendship. The Bible makes it clear. You won't be a friend of both. You won't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You won't be a friend of both. We must allow the exhortation. I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, the Apostle said one time, I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. That means allow it. Permit me to exhort you today with, with fervency. Suffer the word of exhortation. Get some conviction or this contemporary Christian compromising culture will lead you around like a little puppy. I want to say as I conclude this, and Grant, I'm just about ready for you in about 30 seconds. I want you to note, not just any conviction. Get this. Not just any conviction and not just running away from everything in order to avoid anything. That's not discernment. doesn't mean just, well, I'll just avoid everything so I don't possibly get tangled up with anything. That's not discernment. No, we're called to be discerning. Wised, balanced, Bible-based conviction. Brother Graham. Who wants to join in allowing us to be exhorted? I will be willing to, to join in that as well. I was quite shocked myself at a lot of things we saw. But Joe brought out something and he mentioned the Dave Crowder band. I just want you to know that as he manipulated the crowd, there was one main focal point that he was manipulating the crowd towards, and it was the next band after him on stage, which was the last band of this whole four-day event. And I'm going to show you two clips of this band.
Notice all the hand signals. much time to comment um, and I don't think I need to. I just want you to know that as you turn on uh, contemporary Christian music and most of it's not going to be near that hard I'm going to guess and probably my guess is right. Um, everyone that was on that stage just a few hours earlier would have probably been quote okay. Can a fountain send forth both sweet water and bitter? Answer the question in your heart. I'm going to read to you the words that he spoke in that opening because I want to get it well documented. He says, hey, how are you guys feeling out there? Do you know that every single day when each of you wake up in the morning, there is a war going on? And I'm not talking about Afghanistan, and I'm not talking about Iraq. I'm talking about a war for your souls. He says, in this war, some people will try to tell you how to live and how to think. They will tell you what you can and cannot believe in if you want to fit in. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of being told what to do. See anything wrong with that statement? He says, here's what skillet is all about. Because the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. And here is my question for you. Who cares what they say? This is your life. Is that the truth? Do you own your life? Let's just let that all be a warning. So what I'm going to do is I've pulled together some information, and I don't have long, so I'm going to read through it as quickly as I can, but I want to get emphasis on certain areas. And I have selected um, what I've found to be uh, 
some of the more prominent groups, and I just want you to to um, lay all prejudice, prejudice down and, and just listen. I'm going to read quotes that I got off everyone's, um, every time I read a quote, it came from their official website, and if you don't know what that means, that means that they placed it there or had authority of that quote or that uh, content being there. Skillet. John Cooper, who we just saw, he said, one of the things we have done well when asked about their latest, um, this, they had sold a bunch of um, a music to a soundtrack in a uh, wrestling game or something like that. Anyway, it was a huge, quote, victory for them in the artist world. He says, one of the things we've done well is we've serviced our fans very well. He says, we've given them what they want, and that is attention from us. He says, I live to play in concerts. He says, I get really tired and think I just can't go on another night, but as soon as I hear the crowd chanting, I'm like, come on, baby, come on, baby, let's pump it up. Then I get all crazy and feel like a monster. Switchfoot. Anyone ever hear of them? Hands up. Wow, I had no idea. By the way, I had no idea about anything in the CCM world until I went to this that day. Switchfoot, John Foreman, he says, <clears throat> I love guitar tones. It has a story. You can take it and put it into what you do musically. I'm always figuring out what it is that I can give to this band and to these songs. I listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. Why, John? Why do you listen to Led Zeppelin and the Beatles? He says to try and figure out how they could get that sound. How did they do, or how can I do what they did? I want to make music that stands the test of time, so I have to build off those things. Is that what we want to build on? No. We want to feel these songs take us somewhere great, and I love going down that road. Mercy me. <clears throat> Here's what I did with them. I, I admit, I just I was overwhelmed with information. Um, and I wanted to take it off their official website. And I wanted to keep it as pertinent to us as I could. So they came through the Northwest on a tour last fall, 2011 Northwest tour. And I just took and said, uh, took their comments on their blog. Off the, they had a picture and then a quote, quick comment after they'd been in some of these cities in the Northwest. Dang, Boise, what a fun show. You guys were rowdy tonight. We got up at 3 this morning to get here, and you guys brought energy. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. I realize that we haven't really shared the set list from this tour, so I think it's time to do that, etc. There's some other things. So tonight, Portland was so awesome, we decided to do a little something special. The first ever Mercy Me choreographed stage moves for our song, Move. That's right, Portland. You guys bring out the best in us, and tonight our best was a few spectacular dance moves. Sensual? Thanks for being so amazing tonight, Portland. You're one of our favorite places to come, and tonight you proved why. Seattle. You guys were great tonight. You deserve two pictures. Look at all you people. There's tons of you. What a blast. You guys were easily the loudest crowd of the tour so far. It goes on and says, Spokane, you've got your work cut out for you tomorrow. Seattle will definitely be back next year. We love your town, and we love you. I don't know. Just discern. I'm... This is just stuff off their website. 
Spokane, what can we say? You guys were awesome. I know it seems like every night we're getting on here and saying that the crowd was awesome and we had a blast in your town, but Spokane, tonight the crowd was awesome and we had a blast in your town. Seriously, though, what an amazing crowd. We intentionally saved these last two weeks for the end because we knew you guys would be nuts and you have not disappointed. These past few shows have been absolutely insane and we can't wait to wrap this thing up with California next week. Jars of Clay. Anybody? <clears throat> he says, in an interview, respond, okay, responding to a question about the relatively subtle religious... Okay. Sorry, some of this stuff. Um, in an interview, responding to a question about the relatively... Get this. The relatively subtle religious content of their music. So they don't even have that much like religious content in their music, obviously. Hazeltine says, Our songs are not really there to explain our faith, but are written about our life that is affected by our faith. Hazeltine explained the decision to shy away from traditional religious language as a conscious one. So he makes a conscious effort to, to stray away from the traditional religious language. Okay, let's read on. In part, to make their music more accessible to those, quote, put off by religion, and to, quote, love people in a way that is that isn't exclusive to simply people that understand the language of Christianity, unquote. Hazeltine also stated that art can, quote, make people feel what's true rather than telling them, unquote. Casting Crowns. On their official website, they ask, who is your favorite superhero, Mark? He says, man, that's a tough one. Superman, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Batman, Iron Man, and Captain America, all for different reasons. Got a question. Do you remember, I know I've re read a lot of quotes, do you remember what Switchfoot said? They said they listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. So Mark Hall, Casting Crowns, question, who is your current favorite musical artist group? Switchfoot, Jars of Clay, Third Day, Toby Mac Lecrae, he says I'm bad at favorites. I, don't, I, I just, this is just information, take it for what it's worth. Um, he says, they ask him, uh, who do you enjoy following on Twitter? He says, Darth Vader. I had no idea what Darth Vader means or is or who this is. So I googled Darth Vader and I got the Wikipedia thing. It says the name Darth Vader has been synonymous, which means like the same, with a powerful form of evil in both televisual, pop culture, and political discourse. I don't know. I hope that's all correct information. I don't know. Just putting that out there. Melody, and <clears throat> Melody, another um, one of the Casting Crowns band, she says uh, when asked who her uh, superhero, her favorite superhero was, she says, Wonder Woman, of course. She says, I think it's the jewelry. I have Wonder Woman art, comics, action figures, statues, lunchboxes, backpacks, you name it. I don't have a ton of her yet, but I'm working on it. So that's um, all I have on quotes. I just want, I know those are groups that are out there. Um, I'm not here to cast any judgment on, on any of that. I want you to discern 
based on the information that they have taken from their minds and either put to pencil or, in this case, the keyboard. I want you to discern. Okay, so uh, I've been visiting with some young folks here and there about this, and I visited with a couple young brothers, and I'm not having time to read everything, but the last thing they told me says that they did note they had always thought it interesting that the intros on the songs played on K-Love sounded just like secular rock. They, neither one, had been involved with CCM at all. They were uh, closer to 30 years of age, um, and, and they just hadn't been around it. But they had both spent a lot of time in secular rock uh, back in the earlier days, had listened to a lot of it, and they, they had listened to some of K-Love, and they just made that observation. I give that to you. I talked to a man on the west side over here that, um, that I have some connection with. His name is Jamie Davis. I've never met him. I've just seen him in a documentary, some of this type of, of thing. And he says, I just had a, like a five-minute conversation with him, and I just jotted down things as, as, I, as he talked. I said, Jamie, what do you know about the, the CCM culture? I said, I'm, I'm relatively ignorant. Just tell me what comes to your mind when I bring up that subject. He says, I see a lot of folly in the CCM music today. Um, he says that some say stepping into this realm is judging, or they will maybe call you a legalist, but I say it's only biblical to look at the fruit it produces. He says, CCM is humanistic in nature. He says, uh, he asked me the question. He says, I have to ask the question. And I ask you the question, he told me. What appetite are we cultivating by listening to this? Um, he says, when my children come home from school, do I give them apples, grapes, or cookies and junk food? And he said, based on the appetite, you know, so if I start giving them Twinkies, 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 pretty soon they want Twinkies. And if I give them apples and grapes, they're going to come home and ask Dad for apples and grapes. Just a simple analogy, but uh, one that works. He says, are we cultivating... And I just wrote down what he, he said, John MacArthur, A.W. Tozer, etc., or CCM artists and, and everything with that. Um, it will make a difference by what we desire based on what we cultivate um, in our appetites. Lastly, he says there's no defined differences in the CCM as there is in the music of the world. Um, Jamie Davis came, told me that he was raised a pagan over here on the west side, and knew nothing about Christ until his early teenage years and was saved, became a youth pastor in a big church over here on the west side, and through reading the Word of God only, the Scriptures, finally came to a conclusion that what he was doing had no biblical basis whatsoever. And he was leading things like what we just saw. And recently has came out, and he says, there's nothing wrong with teaching youth, but it needs to be doctrine." He says, I can, I can have youth into my home. I can teach them how to be a godly parent. I can teach them how to be a godly husband. And I can teach them doctrine. He says, right now we're going through Titus. He says, we don't need this to teach us doctrine. This will not teach us doctrine. It will teach us things contrary to doctrine. And this is his comments. Now remember, we're not trying to bash all over things. We're trying to seek the high calling in Christ Jesus. Today that is the goal, is the high calling. <clears throat> remember in Matthew 7 it says not everyone who says unto me Lord, Lord shall 
inherit the kingdom of heaven. There will be many, the Bible says in that day, that will say, Lord, we've prophesied in Your name. We have cast out devils in Your name. We've done many wonderful works in Your name. And Jesus will look at them and tell them, Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And today, I just want us to, those verses to sink deep into us and realize in this context, there will be many. And you know what that does to me? That sobers me very greatly because that means if you, you here, and if I am claiming to do many wonderful works in Christ's name, if I am claiming to dispel the powers of darkness with the power of light, and if I am claiming to, um, to, to prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ, that puts me in that category. That puts me in a reason to, to say, wait a minute. I, I see that as, as a great reason to stand back and, and have a time of self-examination. Lord, I, am I in that category? That's the first thing that those verses make me do. Examine myself. And secondly, it is a stark reality that tells me I must discern all things that have the Christian label on it because many will say and few will do. Examine yourself. And secondly, it is a very serious call to discern other things that claim that. I wish that wasn't so, but it's written and read. <clears throat> One more thing out of Scripture here. Do you remember when... when um, this brought a lot of clarity to this subject for me. Remember when the devil was tempting Jesus in the, the wilderness for 40 days. Then he brought him up to the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, he tried to tempt him to make the stones turn to bread and several things there. He says... Um, and Jesus refuted with the word of God. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Now listen to this. Satan speak, for it is written. For it is written. You think Satan knows Scripture? He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they shall dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I just want you to know, and I've got to hurry on, that what Satan was doing right there was using Scripture out of context. And that will always bite. <laughs> One day deep in the forest of Canada, there was a group of wolves looking for a meal. It had been a while, and they were ready to kill. They found a lone moose and began circling in. As they began to make their attack, they soon realized that this was going to be no easy task. As the intensity of the fight continued, one thing became clear. The moose they chose was too strong to take down. Licking their wounds, they retreated into the forests to continue on their search a little more careful. It didn't take long until they located a somewhat sickly moose. The wolves moved in made their attack, and within moments were enjoying their fresh kill. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders there, and um, he warns them, he tells them, he prophesies of some things to come. And he says, 
For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And he says he warned them with many tears about these things. And I must warn you today, the wolves are closing in. And if you have been substituting anything, anything, for Jesus Christ, you're growing sick. And the cost for being spiritually sick will be the death cry as the grievous wolves bring you down. Let's be real. What are your appetites doing to your soul's health? I want the best for all of you. I love you. I commend you to God. I want you to prove these things. We'll just have a little time to light before you, and that's it. God bless you. Thank you, Grant. I appreciate that. Grant called me up one day and said, here's what I've been thinking about and praying about. I've got some counsel from some men of God. Would you go along? So I went along that day. And we saw things that were very sobering to me. And yet, I marvel. I just marvel at some of the magnetic appeal. The last thing I want to consider, we just have a very few minutes. The last question. What are some ways to discern proper music? Uh, The Apostle writing to the church at Thessalonians says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. So I invite you, any one of you that are here today or any of you that listen to this in the future, prove all things. Are you proving what you're doing? Are you testing it? Are you discerning it? That's what it means. Test it and then hold fast only, I will say, to that which is good. The Apostle said in Philippians 1, 9 and 10, he says, uh, Paul pled with that church there, he said that, that our love may abound, he pled with them that their love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, he says, that you may approve things that are what? Excellent. Not mediocre, not okay, not so-so, not kind of cool, but I'm not too sure. No, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Number one, call on the Father. Call on the Father. That means prayer. If your music won't stand humble, fervent prayer, get rid of it. Don't sing it. Don't participate in it. First Peter 1 says this, If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, if you call on the Father. Remember, without respect of persons, He judges according to every man's work. And that goes for singers. And it goes for songs as well. Call on the Father. Number two, 
commune with Christ. Commune with Christ as we commune and fellowship with our Lord Jesus. You can ask that question that many believers have asked down through the years. How would Jesus feel about this? What would Jesus do? Lord Jesus, does this invite Your presence? Lord Jesus, why do I feel so distant from You? Commune with Christ. It will. It is so critical to our discernment. Number three, check the fountain. Check the fountain. Grant's already mentioned that. James 2 says this. It asks this question, speaking about the tongue, which is used for speaking and singing and all kinds of other things. Check the fountain. James says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? So can no fountain yield both salt water and fresh. He goes on and says, Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain yield both salt water and fresh. Check the fountain. And I want to mention to you, as you think about things like K-Love and other things, think of that for once as a fountain. You turn that on, you're turning on a fountain. And I want to ask you, is it a reliable fountain? Would you go up and drink out of a fountain that sometimes gives sweet water and sometimes gives salt water? Would you drink out of that kind of fountain? Can you trust that kind of fountain? Check the fountain. Number four, careful Bible study. Careful Bible study. Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Are you getting the spirit and life of the Word of God? Discerned by the Word of God, it is critical to our stability, to our walking in light in these last days. It always has been. But if it ever has been, surely it is in these last days when, as you've quoted, perilous times, Paul prophesied, would come. And they're here upon us. You must have the discernment of the Word of God. Careful Bible study. Number five. Crave good counsel. Crave good counsel. The book of Proverbs says, if you want to be wise, it says this, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. How many of you want to be wise in your latter end? When you get older, when you have children coming on, if God grants that in your life, when you begin to face uh, greater obstacles than you ever imagined possible in your middle-aged years. Do you want to be wise in your latter end? Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. So number five, in this subject as well as many others, is crave good counsel. Number six, circumspection. Circumspection. In Ephesians 5, we read these words, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Circumspect. That's a, a com combination of two words. Circum has to do with a circle or with a circumference. It's all around. Spect has to do with spection or spectacles or looking. So it means looking all around very carefully circumspection, look, listen, hear, feel, smell with your eyes open. And I want to warn you against testimony-based conclusions. Don't 
draw your conclusions based on some glowing testimony of someone who was moved or saved or whatever. I'm not going to limit God. He can do what He wants, but it is never safe to base doctrine on someone's glowing testimony or choices. Number seven, cultivate your appetite. Cultivate your appetite for things that are good. You are doing this. In fact, I suggest to you that everyone is doing this. We are all cultivating our appetite. Grant spoke of that, that quote from this pastor over in Tacoma, the youth pastor who's just leaving the whole scene. He said, it isn't working. The fruit isn't, isn't manifesting itself like I thought it would and should. I'm quitting. I'm doing something different. I'm going a different direction. God bless him. Cultivate your appetite for something good. You can. Your appetite can be, convol- can be cultivated for good things and for bad things. I, you, you can learn to like things by trying and tasting. And, and I've shared so many times, I hate to share it one more time, that I learned to like coffee by drinking out of my mother's cup of coffee. I cultivated that appetite. And now I like coffee. You will cultivate your appetite for something. Number eight, catch creep. Catch creep. Here's what I mean by that. Creeping compromise. It's drift. It's erosion. Catch creep. It happens. I I don't know how many of you have noticed the white carnations that used to be white out on the tables out here. I brought some bundles of carnations to this Bible school for this purpose of illustration. You will began to be affected by the environment that you place yourself in. All those carnations were white to start with. But I clipped them off and I put in one jar yellow food coloring and in another jar blue food coloring and in another jar red food coloring and in another jar lavender food coloring. And you look at those flowers. I couldn't believe. I thought the test would take all week. By the next morning they were already turning color. And I suggest to you, you're starting to turn color too. You're turning color. You're turning the color of your environment. Don't think you'll beat it. Don't think your children will beat it. Only by the grace of God. We are called to be a light to the world, but be careful. Be careful. Catch, creep. Catch the drift and the creeping compromise of my convictions as I slowly begin to cultivate my appetite. Do you know, I can't hardly believe I can say this, but I am going to say this. As I sat there that afternoon at that CCM concert with all, and listened to a number of different bands and all of that, I marveled, as much as my spirit was grieved, there was a side of me that I have just enough curiosity and just enough fascination and just enough interest in music that I... I, I remember at one point having a flicker of thought, if I was around this too long, I could see how certain aspects of it could begin to be a little bit magnetic to me. At 47 years old, never having loved all of that, growing up singing godly Christian hymns, but I still say you will be affected by your environment. Catch Crete, number nine. Consider the end of their conversation. Hebrews 13 speaks about leaders, those who you allow to lead and influence your spiritual life. It says, remember them that have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the Word of God, and I suggest to you the principle applies to those who have sung to you some aspect of the Word of God or some, quote, Christian spiritual principle. 
Consider the end of their conversation. It says, remember them who have spoken unto you the Word of God, considering the end of their conversation. And that means think about the long-term effect of their lifestyle. As you, as you choose those that you would allow to influence your life or your friends or your children, consider the end of their conversation. If you want to be wise in your latter end, you better consider the end of their conversation, of their manner of living. What is the fruit? What is the result of that? Consider the end of their conversation. And number 10, I just have the word charisma. Charisma. That is the Greek word that is, is in 1 John translated anointing or unction of the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things, John says. That word is charisma. C-R-I-S-M-A in Greek or the, the English rendering of the Greek. And I just want to say we've been hearing, we're still hearing this week, you have been given the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. If, if I'm filled with something, with not something, with, with Him, with God, with the Holy Spirit of God, praise God, there won't be room for that kind of compromise to gain ground in my life. Well, we have been warned today. It's one more warning, but I just want to end this message with blessing and encouragement to you. I really do. Sing. Compose songs. Share. The Apostle says to the church at Colossae, singing, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I just want to encourage you, sing, write songs, compose songs, share good, godly music with grace in your heart to the Lord. Let's go to prayer and I would like to invite each of us this time to get on our knees for a prayer and kneeling. At the conclusion of this prayer, I would like us to sing softly together while we're still on our knees, Oh, when shall I see Jesus? Heavenly Father, the conclusion of this message, we ask for Your mercy. Father, I pray that You would bless this generation. Lord, we look around us and there is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up, the book of Proverbs says. Lord, we see that generation around us, but Lord, would You bless your children in this generation. Bless them, Father. Give them grace and discernment and courage. Fill them with Your Spirit. Send them forth with the Gospel message all over this globe, Father, with pure hearts and pure minds to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, forgive me where I have sinned, where I have failed, where I have not always been the salt that I could have or should have been. But Father, have mercy and I pray that You would uh, correct anything that is is not right or accurate, Lord. I pray that, that You would give discernment, that You would cause everyone who listens to this message to suffer the word of exhortation, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.